little bit. If you have your Bible, please open it to John chapter 11. We're coming to our last sermon in the resurrection story of Lazarus today. John chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 28 through 44. Don't let your Easter outfit fool you about your life. Don't let another person's Easter outfit fool you about their life, either. Sorry, Chris. Every person, every person in this room and on earth has what I call leaks in their life. This is something we've been talking about the past three Sundays. Leaks that they themselves cannot fix. We all have them, and we all try to hide them at the same time. If, we, if you recall, we, we have two types of leaks in our life. We have natural leaks. Leaks in our family, our relationships, in our character, in our jobs, in our finances, in our dreams, in our health, in our education, in our time. Leaks that we can't fix. We need a landlord. Now, the second leak is not as noticeable as the first one. Often people are unaware of this one, even blind to it. But trust me, it's there. You have it, even if you can't see it. The second one is what I call the spiritual leak in our soul. And you can't fix it. Only the landlord can. This whole week has been a reminder of what that landlord did to fix your spiritual leak. And the question for you, particularly for those of you who haven't been here the past few Sundays, is this. Who is the landlord you turn to to renew to restore, to resurrect the leaks in your life. Who is it? There is only one landlord. Everyone and everything else is just summary. They don't care what you go through. They don't care about the leaks in your life. Jesus Christ is the landlord. He can renew it. He can restore it. He can resurrect it. But do you want him to? Do you want him to? Eventually, in this life, you're going to face something that you can't fix. No matter how good you are, no matter how much money you got, or what last name you have, eventually, you're going to face something you can't fix. And who are you going to turn to? Who are you going to run to? Who is your landlord that makes all the difference in the end? We've been looking at the testimony of the resurrection story of Lazarus, seeing how his family turned and ran to the landlord in order for the landlord to fix the leak that was in their life. And if you are familiar with Lazarus' story, you know that he became ill with a sickness that he couldn't fix, with a sickness his sisters could not fix. And so they sent word to the landlord that 
said, he who you love is evil. They sent word to Jesus. And two days later, after he received the message, Jesus returned to Judea, to Bethany, to go back to fix the leak, to fix that natural leak. But as he returned there, he was moving closer and closer to finishing the work of the spiritual leak as well. So if you have your Bible, open it to John 11, beginning in verse 28. And when she, that is Martha, said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been in the dead for two, for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I say this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen stripes, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let us pray. Father, as I often remind myself that this is not about Alex. It's not about me. But it's about my king. And it's about my shepherd. It's about my God. And about my redeemer. His reputation his name, his glory, his kingdom, his church, and his honor. And so, Spirit, you are the helper. I need your help. My heart needs your help. And I pray that you preach to me as you use me to preach to God's people. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. 
when Jesus finally arrived in Bethany, he, he did not go right into the village to, to meet the family. Instead, Martha, one of the sisters, went and met him. Her and Jesus engaged in a comforting conversation. Jesus ministered to Martha, ministered to her leap, and now it was time for him to do the same thing for her sister, to comfort and minister to her as well. See, the, the question we all have when it comes to the leaps in our life is this. What am I to do until the leap is fixed? What am I to do in the midst of it all? What am I to do in the midst of the brokenness? What am I to do with my unemployment, my medical issues, my marriage issues, my sick child, issues with kids? But what am I to do? You, you go to Jesus for comfort and express to him your sorrow and grief, your hurt and your pain. See, Jesus is not just a fixer of your leaks. He is the one who comforts and sustains you until they are fixed. This is what he did for Mary and Martha. When he first arrived to Bethany, he didn't fix anything. You notice that from the story? He didn't do anything. He didn't even go into the village where the people lived. He didn't go to the tomb and raise Lazarus from the dead grave as soon as he got there. He didn't parachute into Bethany, fix everything, and say, peace, Jesus, out. <laughs> did he do that? No, he did not do that. Why? He personally and patiently engaged the two sisters where they were. He took the time to listen to them express to him their grief and pain. He prevents from him. They didn't go to Jesus with some fake hyper-spirituality pretending that the death of their brother had no impact on them. That somehow they were bulletproof from the grief and sorrow that came from death. No, they brought their lead to Jesus and he listened to them. Comforted them. Sustained them. What about you? Are you facing this morning? Are you suppressing, hiding, and in denial this morning? Are you tired of the game? Then come to the king. Take it to the lamb room. Jesus knows how to comfort his people. He knows how to sustain his sheep. He will comfort and sustain you with what you need for the moment. He will comfort and sustain you with himself. But do, but do you believe this? In the broken places of your life, do you believe it? Both of the sisters came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. Those were, words were an expression of their faith in Jesus and their grief to him. And he comforted them. Last week, we saw him comfort Mary by showing her that he was the only one that can fix humanity's spiritual leap. What did he tell her? I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Those I am statements should be familiar to you. 
Anytime Jesus makes an I am statement in the Bible, what is that referring to about who he is? God. His deity. His divine nature. He comforted and sustained her with himself. That he has the power and the authority to fix their spiritual leak. And he's the only one who can. Remember, your spiritual leak has impact on your eternal destiny. Impact on what happens to you when death comes knocking at your door. And believe me, it's coming. In order to have your spiritual leak fixed, you must turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior through saving faith. And when that happens, you don't need to have an inspection on Jesus' work. You don't need a warranty on what Jesus has done. It's finished. It's complete. All you got to do is receive it. And that's comforting and that is sustaining. But do you believe it? What did Martha say to Jesus? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But do you believe it? You, sitting here this morning, do you believe it? If you don't believe it, if you don't know him, he wants to know you. He wants to fix your spiritual leak so that you can have a newness of life that only he can give you. Apart from Jesus, all of us, we are just a spiritual slab of marble. No life, no shape, no form. And that means you're pretty much dead spiritually. And what does Paul say about that in, in Ephesians? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And that is your spiritual leak that you would never be able to fix. It's your sin debt. Your spiritual slab of marble. And we all have it, whether you believe it or not. But Jesus, you know what Jesus is? Our spiritual Michelangelo. When it comes to our spiritual slab of marble, he shapes it. He forms it, and he gives it life. And guess what? Marble can't do that to itself, and neither can you. No matter how hard you work, no matter how good you think you are, you're still a piece of marble that can't fix itself, can't shape itself, and can't give itself life. Only Jesus can. Our sustainer, our comforter, our fixer of our spiritual leaks. And he does the same thing for our natural as well. After Martha was comforted by Jesus, she went to her sister to deliver a message to her. Keep in mind, Mary didn't go with Martha in the beginning. She stayed in the house, seated, still grieving over her brother. So Martha headed back home and, and, and to deliver to her a message from Jesus. She said, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. He's asking for you. It's not a surprise that he would call for her. He, he, he loved this family. He cared about this family's welfare. He cared about the grief and sorrow that they were experiencing over the death of their brother. He was calling Mary to bring to him her leak, to bring to him her grief, her sorrow, her pain, 
And when she heard these words from her sister, she rose quickly and went to Jesus. Went to him. The Jews who were there thought she was going to the tomb, but no, she was going to her landlord who was calling her name in the midst of what she was going through. She came. She saw him. And she fell at his feet. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of dependency. It's an acknowledgement of the reality. She couldn't fix what she was going through. And she told Jesus the same thing her sister said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was weeping at Jesus' feet when she said this. Words of, of grief, expression of her faith. And Jesus saw her brokenness. He saw her grief. He saw her sorrow. It was real. And when he saw this, the text says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The Greek word used for greatly troubled means to be moved with the deepest of emotions, to be filled with, 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 with sympathy, even anger. The word for greatly troubled means to have great distress, to be troubled, to, to shake with emotion, to be disturbed. Jesus was emotional, visibly distressed, deeply moved in his spirit with sympathy. And he said to them, where have you laid him? They told him, and he went, and he wept. He comforted Mary by sympathizing with her and her leap and her grief. He comforted and sustained her by showing her his human nature. You know, Jesus has two natures. He is the God-man, both divine and both human. I'm like, how is that possible? I don't completely know, but it's all over Scripture. Knowing that he is also human comforts and sustains you because he, you realize he knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to live in a broken world. He can identify with what you are going through, not just from an intellectual perspective, but from personal experience. Jesus knows what it's like to live in a fallen, broken world. He understands it perfectly. Hebrews 2 says, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, like little orphan Annie, he knows this is a hard not life for all of us. And Jesus is not like a doctor with bad, no bedside manners. He has bedside manners when it comes to his people. He not only fixed your leak, he personally and patiently engaged you in the process to comfort and sustain you through that. He's not indifferent. He doesn't see past you. He, he does not look through you, but his eyes are intently on his sheep. If you are his sheep, he knows you, understands you, and is going to take care of you where you are. But do you believe it? He sees your grief. He sees your hate. He sees your tears. 
He sees your hearts, your sorrows, your joys. He sees it all. And he has compassion and sympathy on us because he can. Amen. He will comfort and sustain us through these leaps in our life as they are being swift. He will come, just like he eventually came to Lazarus' tomb. Eventually he got there. And when he got there, he was still filled with emotion. And the people in Martha probably didn't know what, what was he going to do. The man's already been dead for days. Why are we going back to the tomb? He told them, take away the stone. Martha said, Lord, by this time there's an odor. He's been in the tomb for days. Four days. Lord, why do that? I don't want to see my brother's body decomposing. Why do that? Even that, even those who know Jesus and say, and say still struggle with unbelief. Even after he just delivered you from one thing, something else comes up and you still will struggle to believe he's going to take care of you. You're still doing it. But we never arrive. All we got is Jesus to the very end. And so what does he tell Martha? Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the good glory of God? He was reminding her of his goodness and faithfulness. And that's what he does for us in the midst of impossible circumstances. What is impossible with man is always possible with God. No matter how bad it gets, our God can handle it. He's God enough for us, powerful enough for us. He can take care of it. Now, it may hurt. You will cry. You will weep. You may even get depressed. But no, you're not alone in what you're going through. He is right there. The God who is always there. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. He has the power and the mercy to renew, to resurrect, to restore everything that we're going through. And in this situation, he, as he was getting ready to resurrect Lazarus, he prays his prayer to the Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I say this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He was praying that, that what he was getting ready to do would bear witness to himself. That what he was getting ready to do would bear witness to the fact that, that he was sent by the Father, the God-man, to accomplish a particular work that only he could do. And when he prayed, after he prayed that prayer, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Is Jesus calling your name this morning? Is he calling you out this morning? Do you hear it? Lazarus, come out. He came out with his hands and his feet bound face wrapped in the cloth, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. The leaf is fixed, it's renewed, restored, it was renewed, it's resurrected. This resurrection story of Lazarus is a picture of what God does for us and continues to do in us. 
He calls us out of spiritual deadness and regenerates us into newness of life. And for the rest of your life, he will, through the power of his spirit, take off your dead man's clothes by fixing your natural leaf. And it's the spirit who unbinds you and lets you go in this life. And it's not you. It'll never be you. How is that possible? How is it possible that something dead can have life? I said last week that whatever God you worship, has to do something with your sin dead against him in order for you to worship that God. Either that God would deny his holiness and look over your sin, or that God would hold to his holiness and demand payment for your sin against him. My God, Yahweh Elohim, does not deny his holiness so you can worship him. He demands payment. And you know what that payment is? It's not a good life. It's not making sure your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. The payment is the shedding of blood. Death. That's the payment for sin. Either your life or a substitute. Either your life or a substitute. This day is not about an Easter bunny. It's not about Easter eggs, Easter dinners, though I can't wait to eat mine. (laughs) And it's not about Easter outfits. It's about the awesomeness and faithfulness of Jesus who was your substitute and whose blood was shed for your sin debt. Remember that spiritual slab of marble that Jesus shapes and forms and gives life to? He does it through the cross, banging away with the cross on your soul, giving it shape, giving it life. Only the cross can do that. It's powerful enough. It's merciful enough. It's strong enough. But do you believe it and will you receive it? My, my voice is not going to bring you into the kingdom. The spirit has to convict you of this. So don't be fooled by emotionalism, okay? Only spirit can make that real to you. And if he ain't working in you right now, what I'm saying don't really make any sense to you. So I, and I understand that. I can't save a soul. All I can do is preach. And it's the spirit's job to work in your heart. Because I'm not the Christ. I ain't ever going to be. This table, that table, is a reminder that our spiritual leap has been permanently shattered. Not with duct tape, not with super glue, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. The precious blood of the Lamb of God. You see, This is all your security. This is all your significance. This is all your beauty. This is all your goodness. This is all your boasting. This is all your assurance. 
This is all your righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we come to this table in humility, with gratefulness, thankfulness, and remembrance. It's the Lord's table, not my table. It's the Lord's table given for the benefit of his beloved people. And so, therefore, all baptized Christians are welcome to come and receive the Lord's Supper with us. All who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, all who are willing to confess and forsake their sins, and who are members of a congregation that proclaims the gospel. Now, if you don't know Christ and if you don't have a relationship with him, we consider it an honor that you're here. And we ask that you observe uh, what we're getting ready to do as a display of our unity in Christ. And if you're not able to receive the table, there are prayers printed on the back of your bulletin. And we ask you to please meditate on those prayers. And if you have questions about what it means to have saving faith in Jesus, please come see me after the service. And adults, we, we ask that you... The, 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 the kids with you, we ask you to let them abstain from the elements until they have made a perfect profession of faith, been baptized, and have been admitted to the Lord's table by the church you attend. And we leave that to the oversight of the parents. And before we receive the elements, we're going to have a time of preparation. So the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts. So I'd like to ask the officers to come forward.